and welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and tries to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. I'm Jen. And I'm Eli. And this week we are covering Ed and Lorraine Warren. Warren. Not like the hotel or the theater. It's much more spookier. I have not been smoking weed today. This is Eli and his natural habitat. <laughs> 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 Dave got it. High five. Oh, they all got it. Yeah. <laughs> Cared enough to help me out. So this week, I let Dave take a break. No way. <laughs> what? No Dave doing research? Wait, no. hold on, hold on. Did you let Dave take a break or did you tell Dave no? <laughs> I let him take a break. Okay, because I, I feel like D- Dave doesn't like to take breaks. I let Dave take a break and I read a whole book. Whoa. <laughs> So yes. One whole book. <laughs> was this before or after sleep or during sleep? Sometimes during. Because I will say that <laughs> I did listen to the audiobook and read at the same time. And there were times that I would doze off during the audiobook. <laughs> but I would then wake up, rewind it, and re listen. So, yeah, in this episode, I'm going to be taking more of a, I guess, a receptive role. You're so. going to be me. I'm going to be you. Yeah, so whenever you're ready, Amy, penetrate me with your knowledge. Well, (laughs) hey, remember, Dave, you're still a man, she's still a woman, okay? I don't want to see the... I don't want to see the makeup on you next week and then her grow a full beard. Or buy a full beard. I don't know how that works. This is 2020. I was waiting for someone to say that, but whatever. Amityville, The Conjuring, Annabelle, all three are great scary movies. But they also share something else in common. Farts. What's that? They're all based on actual events that have been investigated by the world's most famous team of paranormal investigators, Ed and Lorraine Warren. No way! Oh, I was going to say the Winchesters. <laughs> I was going to say it's Casper. <clears throat> now, sure, a lot of the movies have been exaggerated for the purpose of entertainment. No I mean. Way. Honestly, if we were to sit and watch a movie about an actual paranormal investigation, it would be a big snooze fest. But the events in these movies are based off the real-life accounts of Ed and Lorraine. If you've ever seen these movies, especially The Conjuring, you may think you have a really good idea of who the Warrens were. But their real life was really just as normal as any life could be for a light trance medium and a demonologist. So let's sit back and dig into the life and the research of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Now, my main source for this episode is The Demonologist, The Extraordinary Career of Ed and Lorraine Warren by Gerald Brittle. It's a really good book. Recommended. But let's start with Ed. Ed Warren was born September 7th. Eli's birthday. Oh, my God. I share a birthday with a famous demonologist. You do. (laughs) You might know when it's advertised that after I get finished with it. Oh, God. I don't care. I'm going to become an angelologist to be his opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. Ed Ed Ward was born September 7th, 1926 in Bridgeport, Connecticut. It is difficult to find out much about his childhood, but his father was a Connecticut state trooper and a very devout Catholic. Ed Warren attended Catholic school and around the age of five learned that he lived in a haunted house. He recalls his first glimpse into the world of paranormal. 
I was five when I realized that something unusual was going on in the world. Where we lived, we had an old spinster landlady who didn't like dogs or kids. She'd sit by the window and actually wait for you to do something wrong. When he did, she came flying out of the house, screaming like a madwoman. Well, about a year after she died, I was upstairs in the same house, taking off my play shoes. The sun was going down and the room was getting dark. As I sat there on the floor, the closet opened all by itself. Inside the dark closet, I saw a dot of light about the size of a firefly. In a few seconds, the light grew to a human length, and then, incredibly, the apparition of the landlady stood before me, semi-transparent, wearing what looked like some sort of shroud. She was frowning as usual, just like she looked in life. Then she vanished out of nowhere. When he told his father about this event... His father told him to forget what he saw and never tell anyone. Because he was growing up in a haunted house as well as going to Catholic school, Ed would pay close attention anytime the priests and nuns would speak of spirits and the devil. He states, Even at an early age, I was trying to figure out the weird incidents of psychic phenomena I saw go on in my own home. My early education, therefore, supplied me with a general metaphysical overview of the world i didn't know whether that information was true or false of course but i remember it nonetheless also going back to his father you know his father was a prize fighter before he was a state trooper i did know that yes and his father also was in the navy he was a fighter and he became a boxer in the navy he also played football and baseball um for a semi-pro team or the baseball i think was for a semi-pro team in connecticut um, yeah, that's a lot of jobs for one man. Jesus. Well, I'll get into it when I get to towards the end of this. I didn't put that stuff in there because I found contradictory evidence. So I was like, "Well, is this his actual dad?" I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> because his name also is Edward Warren Miney. At least that's everything I can find, except for any of his personal documents but i can't find when he dropped the miney part so maybe maybe it's because his fighting name was itty bitty miney <laughs> Any miney mo <laughs> itty bitty miney mo in his teen years ed worked as a lifeguard as well as an usher at a movie theater which is where he first met lorraine when he turned 17 he enlisted in the u.s navy and deployed during world war ii now there are some dis- discrepancies in the events he tells that happened while deployed um, to the North Atlantic. But I will tell his story and then I'll give details of the discrepancies. Now, Ed claims that on the night of February 5th, 1943, the ship he was on was involved in a collision with a tanker ship. His ship was called the Spring Hill. Both ships caught fire and all crew members abandoned the abandoned ship in freezing shark infested waters. Ed recalls that he, being a lifeguard, had training to keep himself afloat, but he saw another seaman struggling. Seaman. <laughs> <laughs> struggling for what, struggling, and he went to rescue. Then, while he was in the water, with, when he was in the water, he says he saw other crew members being attacked by sharks. Then, finally, a lifeboat with fellow crew members appeared. Not seaman? And no, all the semen was in the ocean. You had to change it, huh? I did. <laughs> For all the, the semen was in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> was it long and hard and full of semen? Sure. 
Cool. And Ed got the younger, the young sailor he rescued onto the boat, and then himself. He claims that the ship sank, and he was one of ninety or one of sixty nine survivors. <laughs> oh sixty-nine, dudes. Wow, dudes. Like she was up here and I was down there, bro. Now the disc- discrepancies. I found that I found while trying to collaborate collaborate this story. Stop. Collaborate and listen. Yep. Chad is back with the brand new edition. Something. Grabs a hold of me tightly. Flows like a harpoon daily and nightly. Will that ever stop? Yo. I don't know. Turn off the lights and I'll, I'll glow. glow. To the extreme like a mic like a vandor. Let up stage wants to jump like a candor. <laughs> <laughs> and part two go. Back to the 1940s. <laughs> we got stuck in the 80s. Hold our time back. Um, now, I don't want to discredit the word of a member of the U.S. Armed Forces, but I feel that it might be important later on when talking about his accounts of the hauntings. In February of 1943, Ed would have been just 16. Now, it wasn't uncommon for people to lie about their age to enlist, so okay, let's give that to him. Um, There was a ship called the Spring Hill, but it was a Canadian Royal Navy ship, and it wasn't even commissioned until 1944. Mm. So maybe the Spring Hill was a nickname that his crew gave their ship? I don't know if sailors do that was he definitely a uh, actual navy man yes okay i looked up navy navy ships lost in world war ii and there was a ship that sank on february 5th of 1943 it was the west portal it was a cargo ship that was separated from its convoy and was struck by a torpedo there were 77 crew members on board and all 77 perished on the ship now, I don't know if Ed told his story to the family, but maybe got dates wrong, or maybe his son-in-law, who was actually telling this story, remembered the dates wrong. It would make more sense in the chronological order of his life that it was 1945, which is the year that he and Lorraine actually got married, and it's told that he got married while he was on survivor's leave from the ship sinking. So, let's say it was 1945, and he just said the wrong date. So that makes sense. It'd be different if it was like a huge, huge time gap. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there was a U.S. Navy ship that sank on February 5th. Um, it was torpedoed. It wasn't a collision. And it was in the Strait of Dover, which is between the U.K. and France. And he did say that he didn't know where he was, but he knew he was somewhere in the North Atlantic. So maybe. Okay. Um, and there were 54 survivors of that particular um, ship. So maybe this was the ship. Uh, this ship was named the USS Peter Sylvester. Like I said, this is also a word of mouth story told secondhand from his son-in-law. So maybe things got crossed. But we might revisit this later when some of his cases. Because if there's nothing that the Ed Warren does that's contradict himself. <laughs> so uh, what? <laughs> Famous person contradicting themselves? No. What would it be like if he had a Twitter? <laughs> I remember watching like YouTube documentaries when I was digging into the Annabelle story, and I remember watching an interview about that, and he con- contradicted himself within the same interview. Yeah, it. Yeah, I'll get into it more. <laughs> but di- before the war, Ed had attended art school at New Haven, Connecticut, with in a art school that was a branch of Yale, I believe, is what I read. Um, so most of Ed's art was actually of apparitions and hauntings. Um, 
but he also did some landscape art. Some of the decks oh, are really oh. cool. Some I watched a really couple great. videos of like uh, his son-in-law walk, taking you through the, his office and everything from the, like the day he died. And he has some of his paintings hanging. I was like, that's really kind of cool looking. I so, would hang had it hang an Ed Warren painting on my wall. So my question is, so the one that spooks me the most, okay, but it wasn't Ed who actually did it, it was Lorraine. Oh, in the movie, it depicted Yeah, she's also an artist. Yes. So they both are artists. But is there actually a nun painting? I'm not sure because I went and looked up Ed Warren paintings and there is actually a picture of a nun that doesn't look like the nun from the movies. and But it's the internet. And so can't yeah. really tell for I sure. don't know for sure. Okay, because that but would scare the living. If so, I want it so I can put it in Eli's room. <laughs> Don't worry, you do that. Dolls are going in all the hidden places. <laughs> all the hidden places. Your yeah. butthole? <laughs> no, your pillows underneath your bed, in your shower, well, swinging above bed, your bed on me. your fan. I don't have fans. Inside I'm your dog's kennel. <laughs> she chew it up. That's fine. <laughs> up your ass. <laughs> Were you gonna say something? No, just about how in in the movies it shows them painting. Yeah, they paintings, were... and I was wondering that. I I'll guess paint you like one of my if it apparition was... girls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where the fuck did that come from? The paintings that I yeah pictured Titanic. It was just like <laughs> I'll paint you like one of my apparition girls. Can you act a little more dead, please? Now, <laughs> in comparison, who was the better painter, Aleister Crowley? Or Ed Warren. Warren. Fascinating. I don't know, but the you know the. I would also have a, a Crowley painting in the room too. Like I, I would have if I, if I had money to have an art collection, I would probably have a Crowley and a John Wayne Gacy in my collection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just gotta think though the medium that Aleister Crowley worked with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't, can't buy that at Hobby Lobby. <laughs> Why does everything look like it has a glazed effect? <laughs> There's semen. And I'm not talking no, about... No, they were in the ocean. <laughs> I was about to say that. I'm not talking about the ocean. Yeah, I missed one semen, and you guys, I knew... Uh, yeah. Obviously, you missed two. You have two kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, your defense system is not working very well. Navy uh, crew members. <laughs> now, Lorraine... Lorraine Rita Morin was born January 31st, 1927. Lorraine Morin Ward. <laughs> what a fucking name. <laughs> what is your, I'm Lorraine Morin Warren. In Bridgeport, Connecticut. Lorraine grew up just three blocks away from Ed. No way. They didn't meet each other until they were teenagers. Um, she was the daughter of a dignified Irish family. Lorraine, now that's even more surprising than the first thing you said. Lorraine was born with the gift of clairvo- clairvoyance. Lorraine says about growing up with this ability. I didn't know I had an additional sensibility. I simply thought everyone had the same God-given senses. You know, all six of them. Well, I found out differently when I was about 12. I was attending a private all-girls school then. It was Arbor Day, and we were all on the front lawn, standing in a circle around a shovel hole in the ground. Well... Just as soon as they put the sapling in the ground, I saw a fully grown tree. I looked up into its massive branches, filled with leaves blowing in the wind, with no idea that I was experiencing a second sight. The nun standing beside me prodded my arm and said in her usual stern way, Miss Moran, why are you looking up at the sky? 
I told her I was just looking up into the tree. Are you seeing into the future? She asked me just as sternly. Yes, I admitted. I guess I am. <laughs> you made me so proud. You didn't win an Oscar before Leonardo. <laughs> <laughs> she was sent off to a retreat home that weekend. I couldn't talk or play or do anything. Just sit there all day long in church and pray. They taught me after that, when it came to things involving clairvoyance, I kept my mouth shut. Now, something else that Lorraine had that wasn't just the clairvoyance, she also saw auras. So she would see into the future, basically, and then she would see auras. Um, Lorraine used future sight. It's very, <laughs> very effective. And also in 1970, she was tested at the UCLA School of Psychical Research. I don't remember what it was called. And she actually tested above average in her abilities. Oh, so she was part of the X-Men. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Dr. Xavier's that, School that, for Gifted Children. That was a really cool study. We should dig into that sometime. We'll have to, yeah. At the age of 16, Lorraine and a group of friends went to see a movie. I believe it was a Larry Cagney movie. And when they arrived, her friends introduced her to Ed Warren, who was working there as an usher. After the movie, Ed offered to take all three girls to get a Coke. Playa! <laughs> In fact, side note on that, two of the girls ordered a fountain drink for five cents piece. Lorraine, she got herself an ice cream float, which cost ten cents. Ooh, big spend. <laughs> I'd been like, bitch, I'm an usher. I ain't make this kind of money. It's like, I only make eight cents an hour. After their drinks, Ed walked each of the girls home. Lorraine was the last house, and she didn't feel that it was right to walk alone, walk home alone with a boy. Uh, when she explained that to Ed, he understood and turned and went back to his own home. Lorraine, in later years, recalled, When he ran across the street... I didn't see the slender young man of 16. I psychically saw Ed as a grown man, a man that I would marry. In fact, when I returned home that evening, I wrote in my diary, Dear diary, today I met the man I'm going to marry. <laughs> you now, back to discrepancies. I've she didn't also, know how to write. I know. I've, I've, <laughs> Did she actually sound like that? Oh, my God. I also heard that he actually took all four of them out for, like, a burger and drinks. Then they didn't go to a movie. And then I've also heard that she saw a vision of him dying, so she knew that she was going to be marrying him. So, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to marry this What's usher. Funny. He makes eight cents an hour, and he's going to die. I'm going to be so rich. What's funny <laughs> is The Conjuring 2... Uh, she sees his death multiple times yeah. as well. So sorry, I thought that was. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, so they each have contradictory stories. It's not just Ed. I mean, they both their stories. the The base premise of most of their stories stays the same, but little details change, especially in the stories of their life. You know, so makes it really hard to do a biography on them. <laughs> right. When all even first-hand accounts from them directly in interviews are different between interviews, so I just went with the book. So what I what I talk about is what the book says, <laughs> and then I'll get into the discrepancies later. Now, 
While home on leave in 1945, Ed and Lorraine were married. While Ed was away at war, Lorraine gave birth to their daughter, Judy. <gasps> Scandal. When Judy was about six months old, Ed, er, six months old, the war was over and Ed had finished his service. Um, so he got to meet Judy for the first time when she was about six months old. Aww. Uh, when he came home, he and Lorraine decided that they would use the skills that Ed had learned in art school and become artists. They packed up and moved around the country. Already at this point, Ed was fascinated with the paranormal, while Lorraine remained skeptical. The family would travel around, and Ed would hear a case of a haunting or read it in a newspaper. Um, He would then find the location, normally residences, and then he would stand out in front of the house and sketch pictures of the home. That would... That sounds so awkward. What if if you just were looking out and you're like, what is this guy doing? That's what they were hoping for. Is that an easel? Is that a canvas? What is this man doing? <laughs> that was what they were hoping for because they would want the they wanted the owners of the home to come and speak to them, and then they would give them the sketch as a gift to allow them to investigate the home. That sounds very sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> now they did this for about five years, uh, for five <laughs> and Lorraine states in the beginning. It was more than a bit wary of the people with whom we spoke. I thought they were kind of suffering from overactive imaginations or were just making things up to get attention. In fact, some of the things people told us sounded completely outlandish back then. Over the course of time, though, I began to become convinced. We would be in vastly different places, one week in Iowa and the next in Texas, but there was often a similarity sometimes even an exactness to the stories these people would tell. And there Ed and I would be, paint all over our hands and arms, offering consolation to folks who were often twice our age, telling them what we knew about the workings of the spirit realm. Now, during this time, the Warrens began making connections with other paranormal researchers and clergy. And then in 1952, the pair established the New England Society of Psychic Research, also known as NESPR. Nesper? Yep, Nesper. Nesper. It is still around today and is run by their daughter Judy and her husband Toby. This is also around the time Ed started his collection that would later become the Occult Museum. Now this place is awesome. I would love to see the Occult Museum. The videos I watched of it looked really cool. This is where you will find Annabelle. This mm. is where you will find um, the conjuring mirror. You will find the, there's a conjuring veil or something like that. I mean, there's all kinds of creepy stuff in there. Mm-hmm. All kinds of cabinets. And yeah. I th- Didn't he have like a Dybbuk box at one point? Yeah, I don't think so. Now, over time, Ed and Lorraine became the go-to couple when it came to any kind of paranormal phenomenon. do 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 Ed began calling himself a demonologist, and the couple worked closely with various clergy. It became the norm for their phone to ring, and then on the other line, it would be a member of the clergy asking for an assistance in a case. The clergy would call the Warrens to help them determine if the case was indeed mnemonic in nature, and if the church should should become involved in the case. Now, even though the Warrens themselves were Catholics, they had actually no problem working with any denomination. Um, to help rid uh, rid the homes of negative entities. Warren 
the Warrens claimed to have investigated over 10,000 cases in their lifetime. Some of the most notable cases would be the case of Annabelle, the Perron family, Amityville, and the infield poltergeist. Annabelle, we covered a little bit in the Haunted Dolls episode. In this case, a young nurse was gifted a Raggedy Ann doll for, by her mother for her birthday. And soon after, she and her roommate started noticing that the doll was moving around the house, um, was leaving them notes. Hi, I'm Raggedy Ann. <laughs> <laughs> and then Will you play with me? <laughs> Can you find my Andy? As soon as it escalated... And a full physical attacks. Focused Quit touching yourself. <laughs> focused on the roommate's fiance. Stop hating yourself. Stop hating yourself. Stop hating yourself. The Warrens helped the girls by having a priest come in and bless the home and then removing Annabelle. Uh, Annabelle still to this day sits in Goodbye, a special cruel world. A special protective case in the Warrens Occult Museum. Okay. Let me out of here, here you, you son of a bitches. So there are uh, three locks that reside on that that uh, that case. Mm-hmm. For no reason, you're never to touch that case, and they only allow certain people in there to begin with because it's so, well. How, as uh, Ed said it, it's such a concentrated uh, concentrated amount of evil things. Basically, I watched, evil energy. I watched a video of Toby. Um, or Tony, Tony moving, having to move it to move the case. They made a bigger case for it, and he was moving it. And how they move it? They wear gloves. They they don't touch it with their bare hands. Uh, there's a priest over the case that the says power a prayer. Of Christ compels you. Before the they power open the case, of Christ compels you. Says a prayer while they're moving it, and then says another prayer once they've put it in the new case. Um, as well as using holy water. Please don't fucking kill me. Please don't fucking kill me. Um, I mean, there's stories of the doll, uh, while moving the doll, the Warrens almost crashed their car with the doll in the back seat. Mm -hmm. And you see that in the movie, I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Let me see here. Um, So they did a... So a group did a seance and introduced Donna and her roommate to the spirit of Annabelle, who was a seven-year-old girl who had played in the fields that existed where the... uh, apartment complex stood um and her lifeless body had been discovered in those fields and it was actually (coughs) donna and angie that permitted the spirit that they thought was this little girl to possess the doll yes so what have we learned never allow young spirits to possess anything don't trust young spirits don't trust them to begin with just don't invite any spirit is because if when it comes to possession anything like that the spirits have to be invited. There are strict there's strict codes of ethics for demons, apparently. <laughs> okay, but even, even with that, the demon code prevents me <laughs> from declining your rock art challenge. What are your terms? What's the catch? If we no. win. okay, but anyways, what I was gonna say about this is that we have talked about it multiple times about if. Like it would not like it would scare us more to see a spirit of a child than it would ever to see a spirit of a uh, of a grown human because once you see a spirit of a child everything everything about you lowers because you're like okay but it like lowers your defenses because yeah. you want you want to nurture it and like that's human nature is to care for children yeah so yeah I mean I'm gonna RKO which, that bitch which, <laughs> <laughs> which is why demons will often use child a child form form to yeah. Ed Warren stated that 
that same medium had told um, Donna and Angie that Annabelle had died in an automobile accident outside of the apartment. Yeah. But that's the story I've heard. Well, I mean, like I said, it's always contradictory between what he says and what somebody else says and then what he says again later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Again, very complicated to do a bio on them. Now... The movie, the movie, the Annabelle is really good, and it actually is nothing like the real story, other than the doll's name is Annabelle. But yep. if you go I back would, and listen to our haunted dolls episode, we talked. I would a much lot rather about. watch it if it was actually Raggedy Ann doll instead of a fucking porcelain. Doll. <laughs> you can tell by the shakiness in Chad's voice that he was actually legitimately telling the truth whenever he <laughs> said that. <laughs> he does not like porcelain. Now there is the case of the Perron family. Um, in England, correct? Situated no, situated in Harrisville, Rhode Island. The home owned by the Perron family, I'm, I think I'm saying that right, was said to be haunted by a witch from the 19th century by the name of Bathsheba Sherman. I'll get Wait, you my she, personal... Is she, the one, is she the one that hung her children? Yeah, yes. I think so. Well, I think that's the story they tell in The Conjuring. Yeah, okay, yeah. sorry. I, I'm going off the stories of The Conjuring. I apologize. I'll <laughs> get you my personal dog, too. <laughs> Now, based on the Warrens' research, the witch was cursed. I had the witch cursed the particular piece of property, so that any inhabitants that would eventually or that lived there would eventually suffer an untimely death. Now, this case is what inspired the movie, the 2013 movie, The Conjuring. And Lorraine was a consultant on the movie, and she said it was very, very close to the truth when it came to the the scariness of the events that was happening. So, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Now, one thing is the, the Warrens claim that they cleared the spirit, but the people who live there claim they didn't. So, so there's a scene in that movie that if this is actually, if this is, cause like, I can't sit here and claim to be, uh, like coherent of those particular energies that she has. Yeah. Or sorry, powers that she has. I would say if the scene where she walks out to the Creek and comes back and then tells her husband exactly what she saw. They force or they show the same scene as if you were looking through her eyes. Uh-huh. And when she walks underneath that tree, you see all of the bodies hanging. Mm-hmm. Okay, that scene to this day, to this day, still scares the living shit out of me. That movie was the first scary movie in a long time that I've seen that really shook you. me out. Yeah. yeah, it's a really good movie. Um, and like I said in the beginning, a lot of, I mean, these movies are based off of real life events, but of course Hollywood dramatizes things. So even if Lorraine says it's as close to the truth as, I mean, possible, <laughs> she also didn't know if she had burgers or soda. So <laughs> it's as close as Happy Gilmore is the real golf. Yeah. Well, okay. So, but when we're talking about like certain situations, have you had multiple drastic situations that you dealt with throughout your entire life? Would you remember whether it was burger or fries or burger or drink? I would try to hold. I would think that I would try to hold on to the happy memories. <laughs> but when you're drowned well, so much, I would like, think. Those memories would stick in you, not like the burger, or the fries thing. But I mean, the burger, or the fries. Anything is, about, yeah. but I'm just saying, any, any of these things they do should have been terrifying enough that those memories should stick with them, not wash them out to where they don't. I don't remember what the hell happened. <laughs> but, but, but let's just sit back and, and take a second, okay? You have the ability to see shit, okay? 
Well, we all have the ability to see shit. Shut your mouth. <laughs> we have the ability, like, we take on the, the we take on the powers of Lorraine Warren. Okay. Okay. For a day, and we're able to see some of the fucking darkest shit possible. Okay. That shit stacks on one's conscience. Yeah. No matter whether you're religious or not, or you have a way to actually release that dark energy or that those, those dark feelings mm-hmm. or whatever. So. In my mind, like in my own person, personal view, I would think that it would be hard to remember the good times to a to a T after having to deal with so many, sh- so much shit like that throughout your entire life. Now, I will say, as a medium, there's a lot of visions and stuff that I have that I don't recall well. So, I mean, for that stuff, I, I mean, I'm not gonna hold that against her. Uh, I mean, really, I find her more trustworthy than I do Ed. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't want to knock her too much because I really do. I find her way more trustworthy than him. Um, but let's move on because I get in more into this in, okay. later on. All right. So now the next, the next one was the Amityville. And that is in 1974 in the town of Amityville, New York. 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo Jr. brutally shot his parents and his four siblings while they slept. A year after the murders, George and Kathleen Lutz purchased and moved into the DeFeo home. At a bargain price of $80,000. Much of the DeFeo's furniture was included into the purchase of the home. And 28 days later, the Lutzes left the house in terror, leaving behind their own personal belongings. Now, Ed and Lorraine investigated the home along with a news crew to document their findings. I I have the Amityville box set. It has like, uh, I think it's four of the movies they made in the uh, 80s and 90s. And it it actually has a whole lot of like behind the scenes stuff and a lot of docu documents or documentaries, documentaries with uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren in them. And I know she was describing this interview that they brought along like a whole group of people, a whole group of like psychics and stuff, and they're all going through the house like, oh, I feel it, I feel it over here, and it oh, it's over here, oh, and it just touched me, and then and then she <laughs> looks dead at the camera, she's like, I don't feel anything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about. Was it Am- <laughs> was Amity the Ville the one that was believed to be a fraud? Yeah, they did it for the money. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. But I all right, remember. now it's a good movie though. <laughs> it is a good movie, and that that is a peculiar true crime case too. How they just stayed asleep the whole time when being shot by a high powered rifle. Yeah, it's peculiar. Now, during the investigation, an infrared time-lapse camera picked up the image of a boy standing at the bottom of the staircase. Now, I'm sure many of you have seen this picture. It says it shows a young boy with glowing white eyes peeking out from around a door frame at the bottom of the staircase. Um, they I, call it the demon boy. I've seen it. it. It kind of almost looks to me like maybe he's wearing glasses and it's reflecting, reflecting the, light. the light. Yeah. Um. Now, what's interesting about this is there were Be no... careful ch- how you Google that. <laughs> <laughs> there were no children in the home while the investigation was going on. Okay, what? That is way too vivid, man. Do spirits actually show up like that? Yeah, they can. What? Are you, are you knocking... That picture almost looks like it's an actual kid, though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I've seen many, many pictures of apparitions and... They don't have the detail that this kid has. Yeah. Now, 
Now the eyes, uh, it just looks like a glare, like light gla- lens, gla- or the low yeah, yeah, glasses lens flare, or lens flare off of the yeah. eyes. But yeah, th- there's too much detail in that face. Yeah, but that is the col- that is the most probably prolific picture from the Amityville investigation that Ed and Lorraine did. Um, Something tells me that was just a kid who snuck in the house while they were doing it, and then he's peeking around. Yeah. You get caught. Also, while they were there the, for the investigation, Ed and Lorraine were asked by the Lutz family to grab the deed for the home because they refused to enter the home after their experiences. Now, if you know anything about the Amityville case, you know, I'm sure you've heard that the Lutzes have even come out and said that they made it up for money. Um, I don't know. I don't think they said they made it up. I think they said they just embellished, yeah, embellished it. it. Because it's like you said. I mean, a movie about an actual haunting is a fucking snooze fest. Yeah. So you have to embellish it and be like, oh, yeah, there was stuff flying off the walls. Yeah. And, and a tornado picked the house up and landed at three. <laughs> really, most hauntings are pretty dull. Yeah. I mean. It's like two or three things happen in the course of there's like, like a, a year. <laughs> But and that's it for like two months. Everybody <laughs> expects the poltergeist where everything in the room is spinning around in a slow tornado. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and even the Warrens talk about that with the Amityville house because there's so many people who have gone into the Amityville house and said they didn't feel anything, didn't see anything, didn't experience anything. And Ed said, I mean, in, in the book, he was talking about the fact, well, that's how paranormal investigation works. 60 investigators could go and not find a single thing because they went on the wrong nights. I mean, that's even if you go back to our interview with um, the haunted historian. Yeah. yeah. That's what he said. He goes, you know, sometimes you can go to a house and not feel anything. He said, you might go there 100 nights of the year and not feel anything. And then you go there one night and the switch is flipped switch, on. Yeah. And, and he also <laughs> made it seem like places weren't even haunted. He's like, yeah. you can go to Walmart and there's spirits all over the place. You yeah. know, they're just all around us always. Yeah. It's, they're I mean, not really that, bound that, by any kind of borders. Yeah. That guy is actually super duper interesting. If you guys uh, have a chance, definitely go watch or listen to that episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And definitely follow their, follow their Facebook. They, go very much into detail over oh, the Oh, you're talking about the Memphis. He was talking about the Haunted Historian. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, both are great. Both Memphis. are great. Both are great episodes and great people. So check out both the... Just check out all yeah, our episodes. Out, yeah, just go back and listen to our whole catalog. Now you can skip one through 14, 15, and then just listen from there on. <laughs> and then uh, definitely <laughs> put a heart and a star next to episode 22. <laughs> now then we have the infield, pol- or the infield ghosts. It is... Known as the most documented documented case in his of haunt a history, is that a new word? Hunkery. Amy's history, history. <laughs> it's haunted history. History. Add it to the history. Um, it is the most documented case in haunting history. It gives, or I'll give the basics of this case because I really intend on doing an episode dedicated on the infield poltergeists. Cool. Um, I have another book to read. I could read two books in one Ooh. year. Um, I can't read. Now, between 1977 and 1979, a family in London began to experience strange paranormal activity in their home. It was centered around two young sisters in the home, ages 13, 11 and 13. They experienced everything from apparitions and poltergeist activity to even reports of one of the girls levitating. Uh, the Conjuring 2 is based off of the infield case. Conjuring 2 is so good. 
I like. It's one of my favorite. It wasn't movies. as scary to me as this first one. Whoa. The first one was really scary. So the Enfield. That's wait. Which one is the one in England? The Enfield. 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 Yeah. yeah that one in London. literally scared the shit out of me. And the reason why is because there's. So we're talking movie aspects, not actual facts here. Movie aspects is. It shows, and you guys, if you haven't seen the movie, I apologize, but here's a big-ass, like, situation, okay? Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Apologies. So if you want to watch it, bleep out the next minute. Pretty much, the first scene that scares the shit out of me is her daughter's sick, and there's a chair that was in the building, or in the house when they moved in. Never moved, right? And the spirit that's there is the old man that died in the home, mm-hmm. right? The situation of her sitting in the chair during the interview is by far the fucking scariest part of that movie. The interesting about The Conjuring 2 is because there is so much actual documented evidence of that case, there's a lot of truth in The Conjuring 2 film because they have a lot of it actually well, documented. And it's not just the Warrens. I mean, there were hundreds of investigators that investigated this house. Now, it's my understanding with that that Ed and Lorraine Warren were only there for maybe a few days. Yeah, they weren't They but, weren't really part of the big investigation. But the main investigators were there for like two years total. Like one guy like practically moved in with the family for yeah. I think like six months or something. There's also a situation where they thought that that whole situation was fake as yes. well. And yeah. with that, there was a, there's a situation that happened in the kitchen, and uh, one of their cameras picked up her, I guess, like something about pots and pans being thrown, and one of the cameras picked up her throwing the pots and pans. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's the, the, that's another reason why I want to do a whole episode dedicated to the infield case, because it is one of the most documented cases, yet there's also a lot of, also a lot of, evidence to gear it towards a hoax Uh so a hoax eh? so it'll be really interesting to dig into this one i would love to do that one now there are some other cases there's a lot i mean ten thousand cases a couple other ones that were in the book there was a young girl who was gift she was really into the occult and her mother gifted her a book of conjuring demon spirits what the fuck for christmas that's, yeah, that's yeah. smart <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> let's conjure fucking uh beelzebub beelzebub what's the what's the christmas ghost oh god damn. so like the kia solomon yeah and well the girl used the book nothing happened immediately then things started happening in the house they called in the warrens all you gotta do is um, open the portal Solomonic magic is is actually a very popular type of ceremonial magic where uh, you do you work with what's called the gosha, which are demons. Yeah, I was going to say Krampus. <laughs> <laughs> now, in this story, I got a little perturbed because I believe it was the priest that was berating the girl for using the book and started quoting quoting scriptures to her about why it's bad, yada yada. And I'm like, okay, she's already suffering from a demonic infestation. Well, she lucked <laughs> out she was a girl. <laughs> yes, I guess she did. <laughs> it could have been much worse if it was a boy. So so basically, the girl was given a book by her mom. She used the book, brought the demons in, and then the warrants came in with clergy, and they cleared the house. Another story, or another case, is Haunting in Connecticut, and there's a movie on Haunting in Connecticut as well. And the Haunting in Connecticut 
interesting enough, I saw this movie. I don't think it was. I saw a documentary on like History Channel or some one of the show, you know, about this case. And it it was pretty creepy at that one. Basically, a family moves into an old. It was an old uh, mortuary, and they move into it and they start having strange things happen to their son. He's things flying around in the house. Crucifixes. And the movie, his dumbass makes his bedroom in the basement yeah. where the, where the embalming room was. Yeah. yeah. Um, basically they would have crucifixes that would turn upside down. You know, I remember when I watched it, I, it reminded me a lot of the DeFeo family in the Amityville where yeah. he kills his family. Cause there's a point in the movie that I saw where the boy is on the verge of killing his whole family. He keeps hearing voices and things like that. Um, but that, that's basically the gist of it. And then they come in, bless the house, do an exorcism, clears the house. Now there's also, the Warrens were involved in a murder case. And in February 1981, 19-year-old um, Arnie Johnson stabbed his landlord, Alan Bono, he stabbed his landlord, Alan Bono, to death after a day of drinking and partying and that ended at Bono's apartment at a dog kennel that he ran in Brookfield, Connecticut. It was the first murder ever recorded in the town, and Johnson was put on trial for first-degree manslaughter. Now, the Connecticut Supreme Court at the 149th White Street in Danbury a few days before Halloween, Johnson's lawyer, Martin Manila, entered a defense of not guilty by reason of demonic possession. It turns out that a year earlier, the 11-year-old brother of Johnson's fiance, who was also on the uh, was also on scene for Bono's murder, was treated for demon possession by various priests and Ed and Lorraine Warren. Johnson was involved in the exorcism and claimed to have been affected by it. With the support of the Warrens, Manila had prepared to or was prepared to prove not only did demons exist, but they physically manipulated his client into committing murder. The judge threw out the defense, though, and the lawyer had to fall back on a more conventional track of self-defense. Johnson was ruled guilty of manslaughter and served five years in prison. But they were going to help use demonic possession as a reason for murder. And that was a big hoopla, yeah. you know? Um, now with all of their experiences, experience in the paranormal field, the Warrens found a way to make money doing what they enjoyed. The Warrens never charged the quote unquote victims of the hauntings for any of their services, which I mean is very standard in most of the paranormal community from everything I've seen. Yeah. But they did make lots of money off of these experiences. Um, in 1968, the Warrens began lecturing at universities about their experiences, and even their daughter and son-in-law still do this to the day, to this day. Um, and in, and in fact, the book, The Demonologist and the Extraordinary Career of Ed and Lorraine Warren is written based on their lectures. It's written as though you're sitting there in the audience listening to Ed and Lorraine speak to you about the cases. Um, it's a very interesting read because of that, because it makes you feel like you are 
yeah. there. And like I said, I did the audiobook. The guy who reads the audiobook is awesome. He not only does he have a voice for Ed, he has a voice for Lorraine. He has a voice for every question that's asked <laughs> at, at the thing. He's got voices for each individual demon. He's got I'm like he's 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 great. It's like the audiobook is very entertaining. Um now Ed and Lorraine have also written many books about their events as well. And then of course they've we can't forget the countless TV interviews and appearances that they would make over their long career. And oh the movies. We've got Haunting in Connecticut, Annabelle, Amityville, The Conjuring, The Conjuring Two, The Nun, like this the whole Conjuring series. Like there's even a new standalone one that just came out. Like there's there's a whole franchise in just yeah. that. Now the Warrens, August twenty third, two thousand six. Ed Warren's life as a self-proclaimed demonologist would come to an end when he passed away due to a heart attack. He was just a few weeks shy of his 80th birthday. Lorraine would continue their work even after Ed passed, working with many TV shows as well as working as a producer or working with producers to make the movies based on their life. And then just last year, April 18th, 2019, she joined her husband and passed away peacefully in her sleep. Now, not everyone likes the Warrens. The Warrens are a very controversial couple when it comes to the paranormal. Uh, Some in the paranormal world view them as an outstanding contributors to the field, while others look at them as more of extravagant storytellers who just use people's paranormal experiences to make a profit. I will say that before doing my research, I felt pretty indifferent about the Warrens. I've always liked listening to interviews with Lorraine and seeing her on some of my favorite ghost hunting shows. I know she was kind of a regular on Paranormal State. Um, I think she's done ghost, the ghost hunter or ghost adventurers. I mean, she's been on a lot of the paranormal shows. Uh, she's also does a lot of speaking things and like, you know, caught on paranormal like shows like that where it shows cases and they talk about them. Um, but there's always been something that about Ed that's rubbed me the wrong way. I would say in doing my research, I completely understand both sides of the Warren fence. Yes. They brought a lot of attention to the paranormal world and make people, um, and many people have them to thank for introducing them to the paranormal and making it less a taboo of a subject. But I also see the other side. There's a lot of exaggeration and partial truths in the cases of the Warrens. Now, I'm all about a good story, especially when it comes to hauntings. But I would say, but as I've said before, to me, I believe a lot of like the super haunted locations can be explained away with over-exaggeration. Um, and I mean, hell, I know I've done this and talking about my experiences from time to time. Um, it just makes it a little bit more entertaining to listen to. Like Dave and I were talking about, you know, when you really live in a haunted house, you're going to have a, every few months, like (laughs) you see a shadow move, but that's about it. Now you will have your extravagant events that do happen within those time periods, but those are usually few and far between. Most of the time, we're not even kind of in tune for stuff like that. But yeah. but when you go to a place that's supposed to be haunted, you do go in with a mindset of being in tune with it. So I think you're going to see more of what's there. Yeah. But, I mean, there's stuff all around us all the time, and you can tune into it. Yeah. 
Now I will say that I do agree a lot with the Warren's view on what spirits are and how they work. And I would guess you would say the science behind spirits. Um, I disagree with them on some of their stances on the occult and Satanists, but even the ultra Catholic Warrens were still very open to the world of the occult and other practitioners of the occult. And they were fine with white and gray magic. They drew the line of black magic. And I personally agree with that as well. I would, I'm not going to practice white black magic, but I'll do white magic. Sure. Why not? Now doing this research, it was super frustrating as I've said a few times because their need to tell a good story often blurred the lines between truth and reality. Um, there's a lot that just doesn't line up. Like we were talking, we were talking before in interviews, dates change, events change constantly. Um, like with the sunken ship, you know, I wanted to collaborate that story cause I kind of felt like it was kind of super extravagant. Yeah. You know, it was like, there's something about this that doesn't seem right. And then and I start looking into it. I'm like, yeah, none of this is lining up. So I really think Ed was just a storyteller. I think Ed just, he liked he to used, tell a good story. So he would take I think his he experiences, used experiences and, and exaggerate them to make them more, be- or not more believable because it actually doesn't, but yeah, just give it more entertainment, entertainment to yeah. it to make people listen. Yeah. Like, Oh, that's really interesting. Instead of, yeah, I've crashed a boat and yeah. got in the yeah. lifeboat and to make came it back home and to make it more of a narration. Yeah. And when you listen to him speak, he's very narrative. Like in those first lines of him where he goes into detail about the old spinster lady next door. Every time he speaks, he speaks like that. He has a story to tell with everything he says. Yeah. And that's really noticeable in this book because that's how this book is written. And it's, uh, there's a lot of dialogue in the book. I, I wonder if it's a lot of it comes from his public speaking and his way of talking to you know these colleges and institutes and stuff of how do I make this where I'm not just blabbering on yeah. and get to keep their attention. And so I think he learned to do public speaking in that way and then he used that until yeah. his interviews and stuff like that to share those stories. Now I really like listening to Lorraine talk. Lorraine is she's a jokester. She likes to crack jokes here and there. Kind of like her I thought everybody had it all six cents. You know like just yeah. just little little quippets there and she's her timing is great. She's really entertaining to listen to. Um, now there are some allegations that have come up against the couple and in December thir- on December 13th 2017 Judith Penny claimed that she had an underage love affair with Ed starting when she was 15 and he was in his mid 30s with Lorraine's knowledge. Penny Penny claimed that Ed called her the love of his life multiple times and that she was pregnant with Ed's child but forced to get an abortion in 1973. Um, Doesn't sound like a very Catholic thing to do. She even says that Lorraine told her she had to get an abortion because the social social impacts of it on their life would have been too much. Um, Penny also claimed uh, in a sworn declaration that Ed was abusive to Lorraine, stating that sometimes Ed would actually have to slap her across the face to shut her up. And some nights I thought they were going to kill each other. I don't condone uh, domestic abuse from either party. And this is going to sound like I am condoning it. But at the same time, you think back to the time period. It was much more acceptable than to be that way. 
Um, so not that I'm condoning it, but I also can kind of see in some of the interviews how it could possibly be the case. Ed is very dominant in the interviews. Um, Lorraine speaks a lot, but Ed will interrupt her. You know, Ed will tell his side of the story over her. Like it, it's, he's a dominant personality. Yeah. And sometimes dominant personalities can be aggressive, violent personalities. I don't know. I wasn't in their home. I don't know what happened. So none of us were? So we, yeah. Allegedly. These yes. are all allegedly. If any of these allegations are true, then my feeling that I didn't care much for Ed might be justified. Um, but we'll never know the truth because two of the three involved are no longer alive. So it's always going to just be her word. Yeah. Um, now, Miss Judith Penny may have made up these stories to be able to take state claim in the Warrens' estate. I mean, saying that she was a 40-year-old lover of Ed, she might feel that she's owed something. Yeah. Who knows? Um, who knows the intentions behind her coming out in 2017 to make these claims? Now, in 2017, Lorraine was alive, and through her attorney, she made the statement that she had no knowledge of any of uh, Judith Penny's claims. So... I mean, you got to take it for what it is. It's an allegation. There's been no proof given. Now, Penny was arrested while she lived at the home because she did live with the Warrens. Um, but there's nothing, there's no, other, other than that she lived there, there's nothing to prove or disprove either way. So we just have to take them as allegations. And I, I'm big on not making judgments based off of allegations. I need proof on things. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in closing, if anything, the life of Ed and Lorraine Warren make for good movies. Um, I mean, The Conjuring was probably the most terrifying movie I've seen in years, and Chad still refuses to watch Annabelle. But <laughs> these two people, in the end, did help clear the path for those who are obsessed with those of us who are obsessed with the paranormal. So we do owe them a thanks for that. No, I, I think their life and their stories are. I think they're wonderful. I mean, well, maybe not the best word, but <laughs> I find them really interesting. Yeah, they're um, definitely interesting. Them as people, I don't have a feeling towards them either way. I didn't know them. But I do find their stories interesting, whether they're true or not. Uh, yeah. Just overall, they do make great, they do turn out for great movies. Yeah. Um, the interviews I've seen with them are all very interesting. Like I said, he, he you definitely tell he has public speaking backgrounds to keep him able to do what he does. Um, their museum, I I really want to see their museum. Um, even just the talks I've heard about some of the books that he's, you know, his stories are in and stuff yeah. look sound like very really interesting well, and. Like I said, I read this book in about I guess it was about two weeks total that I was reading on this book. But it would be one of those things that I couldn't put it down when I'd start reading it. Like, yeah. it would have to be I'd fall asleep or something like that. His way of telling a story keeps you engaged. Especially if you're into the paranormal. I mean, they talk in the book, they talk about, you know, what the difference between human and inhuman spirits. They talk about, like I talked about with the, you know, the demons have specific laws that they have to follow. And... <laughs> and I mean, me personally, I don't believe in demons, but I do believe in negative entities. And if you give, I believe that if you give spirits rules, they do have to follow them. 
in the sense that that's I've got rules in my house. You know, spirits can be in my house. I have no problem with spirits being here. You want to move stuff around, knock on walls, whatever. Fine. My rules are you don't try to scare me. You don't try to scare my children. And you never show yourself. (laughs) <laughs> like those are my rules um, and i mean even when you're dealing with with regular people um setting boundaries and being assertive towards them is extremely effective yeah i mean i to me like for my belief system that i uh in order for them to be in our plane of existence they have to follow rules yeah i feel like there's something a natural code that's there or you know, whatever it may be, that they have to follow. And if they don't, you know, they yeah. can't be in this plane of existence. Whether it's, you know, they'll go back to the astral plane or yeah. wherever well, they're from. And many mediums that I've talked to have talked about kind of enforcers that do enforce the laws between the planes. No. Um, and I mean... It would be like the Watchers in the yeah. Anunnaki. Like mm-hmm. uh, Michael, the Archangel. He's one that many people call on. And that's what his his job is. His job is to keep peace between the yeah. the realms. You know, you call him into battle against evil spirits. I'm saying I know I a mean, lot of like exorcisms and stuff like that, the priest will call for Michael to yeah. come escort the I have called for Michael to come when I have been feeling a little threatened by spirits. I mean I believe in angels, but I believe in angels in the sense of guardian spirits. Yeah. Just like I believe in, I guess, demons in negative, negative spirits. spirits. Yeah. Like, I, I think just like on this in this realm, there are good people and there are bad people. You know, there are cops and there are criminals. I think it's the same way in all realms. Um, so it just it makes logical sense to me that there would be good guys and bad guys on the other side. Yeah. So call in the good guys when the bad guys are acting up. Who are you going to call? <laughs> Ghostbusters! Now, I prefer to look at it more like the enlightened and the unenlightened. And typically, the unenlightened is more, quote-unquote, evil. Yeah. The astral hobos. The mischief makers. The the pains in the ass, you know? <laughs> well, and you have enlightened people on Earth, and you have, a, you know, unenlightened people on Earth. Yeah. I mean, it's all... It's all basically the same just different terms i mean i guess none of us really know the truth but (laughs) i mean i i don't necessarily believe that there is a whole group of entities that are just out to get you yeah neither. just like there isn't really groups of people that are out to get you for absolutely no reason i think that if there were groups of negative demonic entities we'd have a hell of a lot more problems with possession I, than we do. I feel <laughs> the negative entity entities are more of a opportunistic. Yeah. They're gonna try to do things to trick you and just, just to mess with you, not you know, some of them might be there to harm you, but I think I think overall it's more they're more opportunistic. They're not set on doing it, but they get the chance, eh, when, they gotta have some fun. When they well, knock on the wall and you freak out and they get this burst of energy they're going to keep knocking on the freaking no. walls and it's going to escalate because they the scarier they make it, the more energy they get. I mean, that's how... I was going to say, it's like an energy transfer. Yeah. That's how predators in the human society work. They yeah. go after easy targets. Yeah. And what's an easier target, honestly... Than an Elijah. <laughs> well, I'm thinking 
than somebody who is especially a very religious Catholic. I mean, I'm not to point pick on the Catholics, but the Catholics seem to be the only Christian denomination that I can think of. And the Episcopals, the Catholics and the Episcopals are very much evil spirits. All spirits are evil spirits. And that's literally the conversation. I'm going to say a name. Don't use a name. Okay. Well, I've already make talked, up a name. I've already talked to her, talked about yeah, her on the it, podcast. Yeah, just make up a name. Um, Carol. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> we all remember Carol from whenever I used to talk talk about it and how she always used to say a spirit, no matter what form it takes, no matter what energy it, 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 it gives off, no matter what thing it moves in your house, it's an evil spirit. It's yeah. a demon. I no. did, my ex girlfriend was that way. She didn't believe it. She said, thought of any ghost is a demon. Yeah. Yeah. And she was Episcopalian. And they're going to feed off of that because they're going to know that all they have to do is knock on the wall and you all, all, of, a, all of a sudden are terrified you have a demon in your house. It's funny, though, because like for her instance, I was like, you realize, okay, so like, let's put it this way. Let's put it, put it in a scenario because this is what I remember from my, my Christianity days is if you feel like you're under attack, who do you call on? Call on God, right? To give you strength and mm-hmm. to push the spirits out and... Tell him by the by the name of the Lord, leave. Basically, okay. Plain terms, okay. So now let's let's step back from that situation. You're not giving anything any 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 any, any power because you're not showing it fear. Yeah. You're showing it that you have a deity behind you. Yeah. That's here to push whatever the fuck you are out. Yeah. Now, you thinking that every spirit's a demon, or every spirit's evil. That fear goes right into a siphon and gets shoved right into that demon's ass. Yeah. <laughs> or that spirit's ass. <laughs> the spirit's getting an, uh, a, fear a fear enema. enema. <laughs> a fear enema. Okay? And fear nothing enema. cools you down quicker than a fear enema. <laughs> Anywho, sir. So what I'm saying is, is by having that animals. mentality, by having that mentality, you are giving... I mean, you got to think the more power you give something that doesn't have really a full understanding of his existence... The, the, you're on a teeter-totter at that point. You're either going to go good or you're going to go bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. So mentally, like I, that's what I think about whenever I think about all this stuff. And I, I am all for calling upon the help of any deity to help you in negative, in negative spirit interactions. Whether it be God, Jesus, uh, Cthulhu, Cthulhu, Michael, Michael yeah, whoever you're yeah. calling. Because that is going to empower you. Because you're calling in the positive energy of those deities and those things. And it's all a battle of energy. You know, that, and this is so prevalent to me just in two particular ghost hunting shows. Ghost hunters and ghost adventurers. Ghost adventurers goes in flailing, cussing, just agitating, agitating the spirits. And they get a lot of negative recordings they get a lot of stuff thrown at them they get a lot of demons quote unquote ghost hunters goes in calm with their equipment trying to you know yeah like yeah they're like hey there bud how you doing today bud now some of them might scare them and they might scream but 99 percent of the cases they don't go running off i I mean just like in the real world you give off negative energy you're getting negative energy back same look at the thing. riots. I mean, it's exactly what happens in a riot. I just look uh. at our workplace. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can't you can't pick blackberries without getting your hands purple. Yep. I love blackberries. 
I mean, it's it's just it's a transference of energy, and so you stay calm. You don't get worked up. They go on. They're like, ah, I'm not gonna feed from you. So they go to your neighbor's house, and they start hiding their keys. Yeah, you know I mean, <laughs> like. <laughs> I mean, that's what I do. I just send them to Eli's room. Yeah. Did Jody move with you? No. <laughs> Upset. But that's going to do it for me pretending to be Dave. How'd I do? Did a good job. On a zero yeah. from one to ten scale, I give it a 33. I think Dave did an outstanding job as me. Yeah. His reading of Lorraine Name was, was <laughs> great. Nice. I, I, I tried, Coach. I really did. I almost feel like I could be replaced. Oh, there I re- is no replacing <laughs> But I guess that's going to do it for our Warren episode. I've been wanting to cover the Warrens for a long time. So I'm glad we've finally done it. And infilled will be coming soon. But also, don't forget about our sponsor. Do you love the paranormal? Well, of course you do. You're listening to our podcast. Do you love subscription boxes? I know I do. There's nothing better than getting that subscription box in the mail and knowing that whatever's inside is just for you. Each month, it's like Christmas morning, except for you don't have to worry about Krampus swatting you with a switch. Our listeners have an opportunity to combine their love, the paranormal, and their obsession with subscription boxes. We are now working with Parabox Monthly. Each month, they send out an awesome new paranormal-themed t-shirt. But that's not all. Each t-shirt contains a secret password that can be in the form of a code, a cipher, riddles, numbers, or any other hidden gems. Solve the monthly challenge and get entered to win free merchandise. I'm so excited. I just ordered my first box, and I cannot wait until it gets here. If you want to get your Parabox subscription, just go to the link in the description of this episode and enter our promo code PARANORMALCY at checkout, and you'll get 10% off your first box. So check out Parabox Monthly today. And check out our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UNPNormalcy.com. No. No. Damn it. Join our Facebook group at UNPNormalcy.com. Nope. Not yet. Damn it. <laughs> Check out our website at unpnormalcy.com. Yes. Yeah, so Yay. <laughs> I thought I was going to say .net. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about like forward slash dot com forward slash dot net. <laughs> um, def- if you've got a topic you want us to cover, yes. we have covered all the listener topics that we have thus far, I believe. Yes. So if you've got a topic you want us to cover, send us an email, shoot it on Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, all of that. We are always paying attention to those things. And we would be more than happy to cover topics. I mean, it takes us some time sometimes to come up with a topic. So if you guys come up with the topics for us, it makes our brains work a little less hard. Um, But until next time. Keep digging. Bye, y'all.